0: me a go no go for launch
1: just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true
2: i i don't know why we do these let's make film history
0: we are go for launch
1: welcome back everybody to the almost sideways podcast uh we are so glad you are joining us it is episode 94 uh, we're recording uh, Sunday, September 27th, 2020, at 5.12pm Pacific Time. Uh, basically, as soon as the uh, Seahawk game ended, we hopped on to record. So Todd, I have to ask you, what did you think of that game?
2: It seemed like every game we played in the last three years. Like it ha- Every game has to eventually come down to a throw into the end zone or a field goal at the end of the game. And this one was no different somehow even though we're up by 15 with the ball we somehow found a way to make it extremely nerve-wracking
1: should have been up by 22 i'm glad dk caught the game-winning touchdown because it kind of vindicated him a little bit after his 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 bonehead play fumbling the touchdown absolutely zach did you watch any football today
3: Uh, Well, of course, here they had on the epic Broncos and Buccaneers battle, which was just spectacular to watch, especially when every five minutes they interrupted the the game with uh, some fantastic highlight from the Seahawks-Cowboys. But, um, but you know, it, it was pretty good. It was a little weird seeing Pete Carroll on the commercial. I don't know if you've seen a Pete Carroll commercial where he's telling people to go out to vote. But um, that was um, a pleasant surprise. It was, it was the one time in my life it was nice seeing Pete Carroll. Hey, hey Pete Carroll. Good to see you.
1: Have, have either of you checked out the, uh, the podcast that's hosted by, I think it's Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr?
3: No. I've, I've heard about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I've always been intrigued by it, but I've never actually checked it out. I That you, that has to be a good conversation, right?
3: I feel like there's got to be a lot of adrenaline on that podcast and probably some serious Red Bulls downed, um, maybe in the pre-production meetings. You never have to worry about no, well, not, a, not bringing enough energy to that podcast.
1: Yeah, I, well, I don't know, because Pete's all energy and Kerr's all sarcasm, so... <laughs> What they re- I don't know,
3: it'd be a lot of fun. What they really need is is Popovich. Maybe he can be the mediator on the show. That,
1: there we yeah. go.
3: Do you think Greg Popovich knows what a podcast is? Uh,
1: probably not. Probably not. <laughs> no, you gotta get some, some baseball guy to be the mediator. It's because you got football and you got basketball. Get Get like a baseball manager. Like, I don't know. I can't even think of a good one. The first one that I thought would be good on a podcast would be like Terry Francona.
3: Yeah.
2: Or like Aaron Boone.
1: There we go. Aaron Boone. Yep. All right. Let, let, let's, let's bring it back before we get way too far down a random rabbit hole. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking?
3: I'm drinking a couple things. I have something called a rum chata, which is a nice little nip that I'm going to open up right now. Exciting. Rum chata's
1: I, amazing.
3: Yeah. Oh, really? I'm excited. Yes. I'm, like rice pudding oh yeah it's very sweet very nice and tangy and then i also have a uh, smirnoff ice screwdriver so let the party get started three and oh baby best offense since the 2007 patriots so you just go bottoms
1: up on a shot of rum and then go to the smirnoff ice
3: yeah That's just... and i'm also hosting trivia too so this this will be fun <laughs>
1: Did he, is, is that another one? No, it's the same one. Oh, it's the same one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that would be impressive.
3: Uh, but hiding, right. I'm, I'm past the hiding nips phase in my life. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> uh, Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm
2: actually drinking beer. I have some uh, Bodhi Zaffa India Pale Ale from the Georgetown Brewery, and I have it in a stein. So,
1: <laughs> here, here, guys nice that that is how many cans did it take to fill that stein almost two almost two okay okay that's awesome all it's right good. i i have i have from from uh ridge walker brewery in in forest grove if you're in the area go check them out they're amazing small town brewery with awesome beer uh so this one is the uh their Skyloss pale ale and it's pretty good. It's one that definitely changes as it warms up, though. Like, it's nice and crisp and refreshing when it's cold. But then you get that, that hoppy bitterness as it warms up a little bit. So, I mean, either that means you got to drink it fast or just enjoy the bitterness when you get to it. So, yeah. But it's good. It's good. It sounds delicious. Oh, it is delicious. All right, well... uh Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Make sure that you are uh, subscribing on uh, Apple Podcasts, on uh, Stitcher, on Spotify, on Pandora. Uh, maybe I'll try and get it on a couple more places as well. Also, make sure you check out uh, Daily Notes, our, our side side project hosted by Adam Daly. He had a, uh, a podcast post this morning of uh, a deep dive of The Thing. Uh, and it was with... Now I don't know the name. I forget the name. A YouTube personality he had on with him. Let me look it up really quick. It was uh, Rudy's movie reviews from YouTube, and so they they worked together and collabed on that one. Uh, so it should be a fun conversation there. So make sure you check out the uh, the Daily Notes podcast uh, as well. It's a part of the Almost Sideways channel. So if you're getting this, you'll get the Daily Notes as well. All right, well let's get into uh, to what we've been watching. And uh, Zach, you're first. What are we okay. watching this week?
3: I went down uh, the old road um, for a movie. I, I guess I can call it a milestone movie because it's celebrating its 35th anniversary. It was released in 1985, and it is Albert Brooks's Lost in America. Um, I've made uh, note numerous times this podcast. I'm not a big fan of Albert Brooks, but this movie was playing on the TCM app, and I've always sort of been intrigued by it because Ebert was a big fan of it and um it tells the story of a pair of yuppies um in los angeles in the mid 80s and they're just selling their house um and they have some excess funds and uh albert brooks decides he's married to julie haggerty and he decides early on that he's not going to put up with the bureaucratic bullshit that his uh, company is is forcing him trying to shove down his throat so they sell their house they leave los angeles and they buy a winnebago to go across the country um but as they soon discover um in the first place they hit which is Las Vegas and they subsequently lose all their money they sort of have to reimagine their plans um this is actually a pretty well done movie, considering that um, most of the time I can't stand Albert Brooks, and he is pretty unbearable at times in this movie. But I like the premise of it. I actually think it's a really well shot movie. Um, I think that the look of it is really unique and distinctive, and uh, I really like Julie Haggerty as the sort of counterpoint to Brooks's annoying, nebish, uh, an- you know, anxiety throughout the movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. I think it it uh, it has a few uh, too many times when you have to really believe you have to. It's it's uh, um, its suspension of disbelief, especially when they're broke, that they're able to do some of the things they do later in the movie, um, and it never really resolves itself well. But I think it's probably the best Albert Brooks movie I've seen, and I give it three stars. Nice. Have nice. you seen, have it, not Todd? seen that
1: one, Todd? Of you, I have
3: not. Yeah, it was just it was recently released on the Criterion Collection too, so that also piqued my interest.
1: Nice, nice. All right. Well, and if it's on the TCM app, maybe uh, maybe we can try and check it out. We'll see. Alright, uh, Todd, what have you been watching?
2: Uh, so my Nicolas Cage movie of the week Bad Nicolas Cage movie is Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance from 2012 the Oh, sequel, the sequel <laughs> uh, Directed by Neville Dean and Taylor And this takes up Johnny Blaze is uh, on the run since the first movie He wants to make sure his alter ego doesn't kill anybody else But he gets a chance to get rid of his curse uh, He has to help a monk Protect the child, and uh, the movie takes its mythology pretty seriously. Other than the fact that they recast the main villain and change his name, but they keep the same storyline, which I thought was a really odd, odd choice. But the directors are super hyper stylized and schizophrenic because they are the directors of Crank, and it's basically like (laughs) a really schizo Marvel movie, and it's got these like really weird slow actionless scenes mm-hmm. that are like have of like a rocking car chase like a rocking car chase scene or something like that but i mean it, it's kind of hilarious to just see how tone deaf the movie is and cage is really really bad which is fun to see i guess the the fight scenes look cool uh, i couldn't exactly see what was going on though because I, there was just so much so many special effects i could i have no idea what i was actually watching at the time i thought in the first like maybe 20 minutes that it could have been pretty good because it actually was genuinely interesting with the adris elba in there and he's, like, really going for it, and then it kind of becomes, like, unwatchable. And it begs for a sequel, but that was never going to happen. But I'm glad that the, the the directors reunited with Cage when they made Mom and Dad, because that's a great movie. But this one is not. I give it one star. I actually have it ranked as my second worst Nicolas Cage movie, just above the first one, and just below It Could Happen to You.
1: It Could Happen wow. to You? You're that... you you hate It Could Happen to You that badly?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but statistically like looking at my rankings yeah that was my next lowest ranked
3: movie it could wow. it could happen to you it was a charming wonderful movie todd i feel like you need to re-examine that add it to the list <laughs> put it, put report
1: it on, on a rewatch list. one yeah <laughs> uh, report on a rewatch one uh one day
3: i, I will I could, admit i, I that. mean that one he's probably the most toned down it's it's pretty bad when like rosie perez is the frantic one in the movie but um over nicholas Oh, i guess i well i don't know they're both pretty frantic, but... Yeah, Ghost Rider. I also Ryder. want to say, I also oh, want to say yeah.
2: that I watched uh, Countdown, the Robert Altman movie that you guys talked about a while back. Oh, a yeah. Nice. And I, I, don't, I didn't think it was that boring. I, I thought it had a lot in common with, like, Ad Astra. It, it was an interesting movie, and it, it really, it takes a bit to get going, but I thought it was pretty entertaining. But I, I mean, it's like a two and a half star movie regardless.
1: Yeah, I think I gave it two and a half, too. If you're comparing it to Ad Astra, I mean, that makes sense why Zach hated it, because Zach hated Ad Astra.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah it, it, it would have been a would, fun come-to-the-stable movie. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I didn't, I didn't think it was a terrible movie. It, it just, it, you know what? It needed some life. It needed some spark. It needed some Mystery Science Theater 3000 commentary. That's really what this movie was destined for. Uh,
1: yes, I, I could see that for sure.
2: Recording us watching the movie. <laughs>
1: I like it. Hey, I, we could we could record some commentaries to movies. That'd be fun. If you want to see that, let us know. And uh, and I don't know, maybe we'll try and make that happen at some point. Okay, uh, so my anniversary watch for this week, uh, I'm going to see if you guys can figure out what it is. I haven't told you what it is, have I? I didn't...
2: Uh, no. no. No, I mean, I you said so. what, okay. what the other movies you hadn't seen in that category
1: were. Okay, so, so this is from 20 years ago. Uh, it was nominated for two Oscars, and those two Oscars were uh, both acting Oscars. Can you fit? Can you guess what it was? The Contender. The Contender is correct. Yes, nice. that's what I watched. All right. Yeah. So I watched The Contender, written and directed by Rob Lurie, who uh, apparently I'd seen some of his work before. I didn't realize he was the writer director of Nothing But the Truth. Isn't which, it Rob? Uh, Is it Rod? I'm looking. It is Rod. Rod Lurie. Not Rob. Rod Lurie. Um, Anyways, this stars uh, Jeff Bridges as the president. Uh, President Jackson Evans, who uh, I found really interesting since this was just, you know, like 10 years or not 10 years, two years after uh, The Big Lebowski. Like he followed up being the dude with being the president. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and, but the movie really focuses on uh, Joan Allen, who is a senator who has been nominated to uh, replace a, uh, a, uh, the vice president who has passed away. And, uh, and the, the critique she gets and the criticism she gets and the ridicule she gets of trying to become the first woman uh, to be, um, to be uh, in one of those two main executive positions... Uh, the main antagonist in this is Gary Oldman, who once again shows how nobody quite disappears into a role like Gary Oldman. Um, I mean, to think that this was the same year as Hannibal, where he was in on a completely different end of the spectrum. Uh, it, he's he's one of the best chameleons we got, uh, and then you have some some supporting parts by. I mean, this is a huge cast. You got supporting parts by Christian Slater as a young up and coming congressman. You've got uh, Sam Elliott, who uh, looks like uh, I think he's the chief of staff for um, for the president, and uh, should never ever act without a mustache. Um, you've got William Peterson, who's a governor, who's another one of the uh, the top contenders for um, for vice president. Uh, Philip Baker Hall is in it. Mike Bender is in it. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of familiar faces. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. It was it was really entertaining. Um, I thought it was it was kind of a it was a good, very topical watch as we're in the middle of an election season right now, and so you have the political, you know, just uh, arena that's going on in this. However, it feels kind of felt very American president ish, especially kind of in, in how um, the the main part of the plot is criticism that uh, the main characters are getting in uh, in their choices of women. Is really what, what, it, what it is. So in that case, this and American President have kind of a lot in common. Um, Joan Allen does, does an amazing job. Uh, Jeff Bridges is a very quirky president, but uh, gets the job done. Uh, he reminds me a lot of his character in, um, in Seabiscuit, which came out a few years later. Um, very similar kind of vibe I got there. But I'm giving it three and a half stars. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it, um, it was very effective. Um, once I knew it was by the guy who did nothing but the truth, I could feel kind of that, that kind of influence there and, uh, especially how it ends in, and kind of, there's like a reveal, like there is nothing but the truth. And I, I feel like it kind of worked, um, in a similar way and it was effective and I had fun with it. So three and a half
3: stars. So I remember watching that movie a long time ago and thinking it was really hokey and corny and over the top. But, you know, so was apparently nothing but the truth.
1: I, I could see, I could see that. I could see that. But it's still, I'd say it still was, it still was effective and engaging and fun and, um, but I could see how you could get that out of it for sure.
3: It also felt like it was kind of random that that movie got those nominations. Like, I don't, I don't particularly remember it being pitched as an Oscar movie, um, nor did it do i remember it getting particularly great reviews but who knows who knows what the voters in 2000 were thinking
1: well and i think it's weird that you have a film get two acting nominations and nothing else i thought that was kind of interesting that doesn't happen too often
2: not what pollock
1: did oh i guess that is what pollock did the exact same year yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i guess there was something something to that huh
3: Alright, well, anyways. I feel like Ed Harris should have been in The Contender. That, that was a missed opportunity. He could have been. He could have been. D-
1: Gary Oldman's creepy in that movie. I, yeah, anyways. Okay, let's move on. Uh, it is time for our featured review.
3: I love this movie so much.
1: I did not really like this film at all.
3: This is the most Zach movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie Reviews
1: and this week we are looking at a brand new netflix film that just came out uh and that is enola holmes
0: now where to begin my mother named me enola which backwards spells alone. and yet we were always together and it was wonderful she was my whole world which leads me onto the second thing you need to know. <laughs> a week ago, I awoke mother? to find that my mother was missing and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Croft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola, where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. It just makes my head itch and I have no gloves. My god. A wild woman brought up a wild child, who will make her acceptable for society. She seems intelligent. There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours, or the path others choose for you. It is time to find my mother. The game is afoot. Ah. If I have to stay hidden from my brothers, I must become something... ...unexpected. (laughs) You've progressed nicely. Is she safe? She's our company. I'm Viscount Tewkesbury. Her useless boy.
1: You have to help me. I'm not ready to die on a train.
0: I'm not ready to die at all and I wasn't going to before I met you. What are you planning, Mother?
3: She always had a reason for everything.
1: Perhaps she wants to change the world.
0: Perhaps it's a world that needs changing. Uh, Come on! Unlike most well-bred ladies, I was never taught to embroider. I was taught to watch. And listen. I was taught to fight. I'm coming to find you, Mother. You don't know how to embroider?
1: Uh, Kind of a spin-off of the whole uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, franchise. Uh, And Todd, you're going to start us off on this one. So tell us about um, Enola Holmes and what you thought.
2: Okay, it is uh, directed by Harry Bradbeer. I believe it's his uh, debut film. And uh, Enola Holmes is um, played by Millie Bobby Brown. And she lives with her mother, played by Helena Bonham Carter. And her mother disappears on her 16th birthday leaving behind, like, mysterious presents and no clue as to why she really left. Um, and she refuses to go to a, a finishing school at the suggestion of her brothers, Sherlock and Mycroft. Uh, so she goes to London and tries to solve the mystery of what happened to her mother And while uncovering some sort of, like, controversy about a runaway kid that she meets along the way. I don't know how many more versions of Sherlock we need, but uh, this is... Uh, it definitely takes it in a different direction, I guess. Um you feel the Killing Eve in it from uh, from the director. He worked on that show, and he also worked on Fleabag. And you also feel a lot of that with like addressing the audience and with um, the brand of humor. The movie is pretty like charming and and cute, uh, but it's also like light and non-invasive. It it uh it almost feels like it should have been an animated movie because there are a lot of like cartoonish action scenes and like it's really quirky. It could have worked really well as an animated movie. But Millie Bobby Brown is really good though, and she's magnetic. And um, she makes Enola, like, likable and relatable, and we believe in her. Um, uh, she makes one of the more interesting young heroines we've seen in, in uh, recently. Sam Cloughlin and Henry Cavill play her brothers, and they're a bit really boring, but may, I think that might kind of be the point of, of those characters. Uh, young girls are probably going to find the movie really empowering. It uh, tries to make this, like, a feminist reimagining of the classic characters, and it kind of works with that, but it also gets pretty preachy. Uh, it's clearly designed for children, like, it doesn't take a scholar to figure out the symbolism in the message, but they just say, screw it, and they throw it all out there, and then, you know, I guess that's fine. I can't really mark it down for that, even though it is pretty blunt. It's fun and breezy and pretty witty, but it's a bit too long, but it's an easy three stars for me.
1: All right, all right, so we've got one approval there. Zach, you're next. What did you think of Enola Holmes?
3: Yeah, I, I echo a lot of what Todd said. Um, I think that the big story coming out of it, I suppose, is that Millie Bobby Brown is absolutely you know, a, a star. Um, she radiates in this movie. She's in almost every scene in the movie. There's, it's very much sort of a Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Type. Actually, this movie has some unusual parallels with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It almost has the same plot, if you think about it. Not just the whole breaking down the fourth wall, but also the sort of ad- adventures in the city and, you know, no real adult supervision and being chased down. So um, I guess that's one way to look at it. Um, I also feel like Enola's mom, uh, played by Helena Bottom Carter, probably saw that Kate Blanchett movie, Where Do You Go Bernadette, too many times. And maybe that's what prompted her disappearance. <laughs> um and then I also I couldn't help but think that the name Enola Holmes when when you say it it kind of sounds like the name of like a like a naval base or something, or like a naval ship, Enola Holmes. It doesn't sound, it doesn't really ring off the tongue. Um, Yeah, that's all I really have to say about the movie, just some one-liners about it. It, it, It's charming, inoffensive, sweet, pretty predictable. I do have to admit, I fell asleep during about 25 minutes in the middle, so I, I was never really sure why they were chasing Millie Bobby Brown's little boyfriend and what his significance was in this big vote. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think you could probably get by with missing a good chunk of this movie in the middle and not really feel like you're too lost in the grand scheme of things, um, which is never a great sign for a movie. So I think I do have to give it two and a half stars. But uh, y- yes, if you're if you're a team girl or you're a fan of Millie Bobby Brown or you're a fan of, um, you know, a, a British mysteries uh, with Sherlock Holmes and his brother Minecraft, then I say uh, go for it and enjoy it and have fun <laughs> watching it. In place of Minecraft while you're watching it. Because you probably don't need to be paying that much attention to it.
1: Minecraft. That was a great movie. Minecraft. That, that was, yeah. Uh, I'm going to agree almost completely with Todd. I love this movie. It was so much fun. And it was charming. And it was, ju- it was just great entertainment. Like, like you guys said, Millie Bobby Brown is the takeaway from this movie. She is outstanding. She's amazing. She's magnetic. She's a star in the making. Uh, I'm gonna say she's the next Kira Knightley. That's kind of where I what I was thinking as I was watching it, um, and uh, and I will say it was a little awkward. Henry Cavill as Sherlock. I mean, this big muscular like broody type as as Sherlock didn't was a little weird, but you know it worked. But I, I found it interesting that you have these like Hollywood stars like Henry Cavill, Hen- Helena Bonham Carter. And Millie Bobby Brown is the one that steals the show from all of them. No matter who she's on screen with, she's the one that that um that uh you that your your eye goes to. She's the one that steals the screen every time she's on in a scene, which is like Zach said, almost every scene. Uh, yeah, easy three star movie. Uh, a lot of fun, worth a watch, worth a rewatch. It's one of those that you can just kind of have on in the background and have as just great entertainment. For whenever you're just hanging out, so
2: yeah, Millie Bobby Go Brown gave me like serious young Natalie Portman vibes. Like she could easily have that kind of career.
1: Yeah, Natalie Portman, Keira Knightley. I mean, when they were that age, they're basically the same person, right? I mean, that's why they—that's why Keira Knightley played her double in *Phantom Menace*. Yes. <laughs> I, I went. I went with Keira Knightley because she's the British one. Yeah. All right. Well. I thought we, for a second, I thought we were going to be thrice approved, but then Zach fell asleep for 20 minutes, and uh, I, mean, I think I,
3: if he didn't... Did, did I really miss anything? I mean, honestly, <laughs> like, they were going after the, 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 the boy, the, the rich, privileged boy that she is her paramour. I saw the train scene, I thought that was pretty cool, but like, you know, the chasing after the kid, it's like, come on, I want to I wanna know what happened to the mother. Why are we getting involved with this kid, and I, you know, I could kind of give or take that part.
1: But in, in finding, in in figuring that out, it helps resolve the other stuff, too. I don't know. Does it? It, it worked. It does, I think. Okay. It worked. It comes together. I thought it worked. All right.
3: I'll trust you on so,
1: that. So, Enola Holmes, it's easy to find. It's on, uh, it's on Netflix right now. Uh, check it out. Definitely, definitely worth the watch. Okay. Well, let's move on from that. And let's move into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And we're doing something a little different for our spotlight segment. And uh, we are looking at, oh, we're all about two months, no, three months left in, uh, in 2020, uh, the year that feels like it will never end. Uh, but we have three months left. And uh, we decided to take a minute and look at what's coming up the rest of the year in terms of movies and talk about our most anticipated movies of the rest of the year. Now, this comes with a slight caveat because we don't know if theaters are going to fully open up again in 2020. Um, So we don't know how many of these we're actually going to be able to see in 2020 or how many are going to end up streaming i know some of them probably that we're going to mention are going to be uh kind of a straight to streaming thing um and uh and also we have this uh this funky uh eligibility window for the oscars so some of the films that we're kind of looking forward to might not come out until january or february because they can come out in january or february this year and still be eligible for the oscars so We're just going to say the films that we know about now that we're excited for, (laughs) uh, that we, that might be seen in theaters, that might be seen on Netflix, that might be seen, uh, you know, in, in February or, or whatnot, who knows, but uh, we're, we've kind of come to the end of like a um, festival season. And so we kind of have an idea of what are going to be some of the major players moving forward and uh, in terms of Oscars, but also just what are some potential fun movies that are going to be coming out. So uh, I'm going to go first. We're just going to go through kind of a three, two, one, talk about the ones that, uh, that are on our list. Uh, So uh, number three on my list is probably the biggest blockbuster movie that is going to be on any of our lists. That's still kind of, uh, that um, still has a shot of probably still having a a theatrical release. And um, that is no time to die. Uh, it was supposed to come out in uh, in March or April, one of those two. Anyways, a while ago, and now it's I think it's slated for November. November twentieth. But um, November twentieth, yeah. I would I would love to see to see this. This is going to be so much fun. It's going to be the last Daniel Craig uh, Bond film, and I, I'm really curious to see what Cary Fukunaga does as as the director of this because I've loved all of his work so. Um, so number three on my list is uh, is No Time to Die. Also, I think, I mean, say what you want about Bohemian Rhapsody. Rami Malek is a pretty good actor, and I really think it'll be interesting to see what he can do as a, as a Bond villain. Uh, number two on my list is, uh, if you were to say what film won the the festival season, it's pretty hard to go with anything other than Nomadland, um, because uh, it. I think I heard pulled off a, a double win that no film has ever pulled off before in winning the Golden Lion at Venice and the Audience Award at TIFF. It won both, and no film has ever done that before. Um, and so that means, I mean, you know this is going to be um, probably a Best Picture nominee. Uh, it's directed and written by Chloe Zhao, who um, we were uh, fans of The Writer, which came out a few years ago. Um, that was a really small Subtle film and this is her follow-up to that and then she's going Marvel. So that'll be really interesting too, but um starring uh, Francis McDormand and um, It looks it looks fascinating I can't wait to see something like this the I keep on hearing it's gonna be like this year's Roma and that it's there's not really much of a plot But it is um, it is just a beautiful movie and I loved Roma It was my number one of that year. So I'm I'm super excited Uh, for Nomadland Um, right now it says it has a release date of December 4th and uh, so we'll see if that actually happens or not or if it's going to be a a VOD type of deal so uh, there's that one and my number one is uh, a film we know we'll be seeing this year Uh, it's supposed to come out it looks like release date is set for next month potentially Um, and it's going to be a Netflix film and that is Mank, uh, uh, directed by David Fincher, uh, following around Herman Mankiewicz uh, as he develops the screenplay uh, with Orson Welles for Citizen Kane. Um, you need, I mean, old Hollywood, David Fincher. I mean, it, all, if you combine those, and you're going to have an amazing movie. You've got Gary Oldman playing the the main character. Uh, Amanda Seyfried's in it, uh you've got, uh, some other familiar faces that are going to be in there, but, uh, David Fincher doesn't make many movies anymore. And so when he makes one, you've got to pay attention. And when you have something that is like this, that's about Hollywood, um, it sounds like it's about as Oscar Beatty as you get. It's, it's in black and white, which the Oscars are going to be all over. This is going to be a major player and I'm excited for it because I think it's going to be an amazing movie. So there's my top three, um, No Time to Die, No Land, and
3: Mink. All right, uh, Zach, you're next. Yeah, see, what's fun about this list is that we can't really give each other shit for it because those are all really good movies. I mean, and, you know, the only thing we can really doubt is whether they're going to actually come out or not. But I feel like that is a pretty solid list of movies that probably will come out um, because of how high profile they are and because of some of the hype and publicity that they've already received but um yeah okay so um so i had i had nomad land on my list as well i'm just going to read off. i mean i wrote a a fairly lengthy list I, i anticipated that there'd be some overlap so i'm going to discuss three movies that were not on terry's list Um, My number three movie is One Night in Miami, which is directed Mm. by Regina King. Um, According to IMDb, it is a fictional account of One Incredible Night where Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gather to discuss their roles in the civil rights movement and the cultural upheaval in the 1960s. Um, This was at, uh, I believe, the uh, uh, Toronto Film Festival. And um, it got some pretty major buzz there. And um, it is with uh, a pretty hefty cast as well. Um, looks really good. Leslie Odom Jr., Lance Reddick, our favorite on the podcast, Michael Imperioli. Um, just, uh, just, you know, obviously um, Regina King, uh, Oscar winner, um, great, great to see. This movie looks pretty awesome and exciting, and uh, again, you know, it, I, I loved my idea of the Michael Jackson, Elizabeth Taylor, Marlon Brando. I, I love the idea of people in history interacting with each other, even if it's fictitious, so this, this idea sounds very, very intriguing. Um, my number two movie, I'm going to go with Another Round, which is the new movie by uh, Th- uh, Thomas Vinterberg, one of the uh, architects of the dogma movement. He also directed The Hunt, which I know Todd and I are both big fans of. Um, and he also I, he did Tests of the er- Derbervilles too, not too long ago. Um, so the IMDb description of this movie is perfect. Four friends, all high school teachers, test a theory that they will improve their lives by maintaining a constant level of alcohol in their blood. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Who doesn't want to live that? I mean, people are living that. But, like, you know, um, it sounds awesome, and it got some pretty good reviews, too. I believe it also was at Toronto. Um, And, uh, yeah, Thomas Vinterberg doesn't really make too many bad movies, so I'm excited to see how that one turns out. And then my number one movie is a, a movie that had a, has a really interesting premise. It has some solid people behind it. It could be really bad, could be really good. I don't know. The comparisons have been to uh, uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, which is intriguing, but um, it is the film Nine Days, directed by Edson Oda, and starring Bill Sarsgaard, Zazie Beats, Winston Duke, uh, Tony Hale, Benedict Wong, and the the closest way that I can describe it is it sounds almost like a uh, Wings of Desire type thing about someone who watches um, people's lives from this sort of omnipresent ethereal uh, viewpoint and I think it's it, it also sounds like it's um, about uh, this interview process where someone is reborn or something like that there's some something about rebirth and resurrection in it um, and it sort of has a surreal premise but it, it got really uh, great reviews it premiered at the cannes Film Festival. Um, it says that it's similar than it actually sounds, um, I'm intrigued by that, um, I have not seen any films by the director, but, uh, I just like the premise, I like the reviews that it got, and, um, it sounds like a fascinating, uh, idea. So, that, that, that is what I'm going with. It could be terrible, it could backfire on me, but listen, there were no Dardenne films and no Oscar Farhadi films for me to pick, so I had to go with something that sounded, um, at least equally, uh, bizarre and, um, obscure.
1: Well played, well played. What what's great is I I have I have a list I have my my three and then I have three others that I'll mention once we're all done. Um, and none of them were those three, but those are three awesome picks. So, so well done, well done. All right, Todd, what do you got?
2: Uh, okay, so for my number three, I have, uh, Deep Water, which is Adrian Lyne's movie coming out on November thirteenth. Uh, it's about a well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce but then becomes the prime suspect in the disappearance of all of her lovers it stars Ben Affleck and he has to know that the role had to have been written for him it's adapted by uh, <laughs> euphoria kind of gone girl. <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, real sounds like gone girl uh, uh, it's adapted by the euphoria creator Sam Levinson and stranger than fictions writer zach helm and it's from a patricia highsmith novel and that is all over the place and i can't wait to see what that looks like adrian line has not made a movie since unfaithful so i'm excited to uh, decide to watch this when it comes out with also like uh, my 3.5 i guess would be malcolm and marie which was the movie sam levinson wrote and directed with john david washington and emmy winner zendaya uh during quarantine i don't know when that's coming out doesn't have a release date, but i can't wait to see how, how that actually worked out
1: Emmy winners and Dea just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> yeah, but you're the one that's seen Euphoria. did she earn it?
2: Oh yeah, she is amazing. I never thought that she was gonna win an award for it because it is it's way it's way out there and they, she's the youngest best drama actress of all time apparently. yeah Oh so. well, my number two uh, going kind of uh, out into the independent film realm is uh, Jim Cummings' new movie. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. And, uh, coming off of Thunder Road, I can't wait to see what he does next, and this is it. Uh, it's got, it's about, it says, Terror Terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring, caring for his ailing father, Officer Marshall struggles to remind himself that there are no such thing as werewolves. And, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, the final screen appearance of Robert Forster is in this movie. Uh, D- Jimmy Tatro is in it. The guy from, uh, American Vandal, and yeah, Thunder Road was one of my favorite movies of what, 2018, and I can't wait to watch this, it sounds ridiculous, maybe it's terrible, I have no idea, coming out October 9th, and my number one is No Time to Die, Terry already mentioned it, I mean, it's been five years since Spectre, which was the last time that Daniel Craig said, this is my last Bond movie, well, hopefully this isn't his last Bond movie again, because he is awesome, and... It's gonna get a wide release worldwide at least. I hopefully we can actually see it on the big screen here and it'd be a, like a big smash hit. we has got a little bit of time November 20th, but yeah that that's def- that's clearly my, what I'm looking forward to most.
1: Yeah, I'm kind I'm kind of waiting for when they're gonna push it back because I have a feeling it's gonna happen. I mean, Disney has already pushed back their movies, well, um, uh, Black Widows now like in February or March. You've got, and West Side Story got pushed all the way to next Christmas. So uh, I don't know. I feel like it's gonna get pushed back, but I hope it doesn't.
2: Well, I mean, it's, but I mean, it's run by the UK, and they're gonna have it in the theaters. I'm sure they're not gonna wait any longer. They've already done it once. That's
1: true. That's true. All right. Well, I want to name off some uh, some honorable mentions. So I said I have three. I uh, I have a fourth one that I remembered while we were sitting here that hasn't been mentioned yet, and none of the ones that are on my honorable mention have been mentioned. So, uh, the first one is Judas and the Black Messiah, um, which um, probably is going to be one of those January-February releases. I don't think it actually has a technical release date yet, but, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, Black Panthers. It's going to be amazing. Um, I've heard a lot of really good things coming out of festival season about The Father, uh, starring Anthony Hopkins uh, and Olivia Coleman. Um, I've heard like best work of Anthony Hopkins career, which is saying something. Cause that's Anthony freaking Hopkins. Um, the trial of Chicago seven, the new Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a, a, topical, uh, thing and it's Aaron Sorkin. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to have some buzz around it and be interesting. That's coming out on Netflix. And the one I remembered while we were talking is Ammonite with, uh, Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet. um, it, it it looks good i've heard it's really good um however i've also heard it kind of feels like poor man's portrait of a lady on fire so uh i mean we'll, we'll see how it goes but uh but intriguing if nothing else uh for those two to be in a movie together so
3: uh zach what else was on your list Uh, Yeah, I had the Aaron Sorkin film as well. I'll just throw a few more out there. Um, I had uh, the Barry Jenkins miniseries that he's working on. I know we can't really do miniseries, but the Underground Railroad, which is a look. uh, Yeah. um, Well, I think that's the right one, isn't it? that's the miniseries he's doing um yeah uh so uh that was really good i also had mirai which is um a new film with stephen yoon and it is about a korean family that immigrates to america in the 1980s that sounded really interesting and i also had zola uh which is uh the the, the plot description on db is uh it says it is about a stripper named zola who embarks on a wild road trip to florida and um, it was originally produced by uh, James Franco, but that was when the sexual um, harassment allegations came out, so he took his name off the film. Doesn't mean, though, that it's a bad film, necessarily. Um, sadly, Riley Keough is not in it, though, which is a disappointment. But Jason Mitchell is.
2: Isn't that the one that's, like, that's like based on a Reddit thread or something?
3: Yes, I believe so. That sounds, that sounds pretty accurate. So you're mentioning the uh, the miniseries yes, by was, Barry Jenkins. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I looked on the page, and yes, it was based on a true story. Zola is based on a true story that was told in a popular thread um, written in October 2015. So Todd was right.
2: Okay, yeah, I, I think I heard that was a Sundance movie. Yeah,
3: I think so. Uh,
1: anyway, so, so you mentioning the Barry Jenkins miniseries also reminded me of another one I'm looking forward to, and that's the Steve McQueen miniseries, Small Axe. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that one I'm really interested into, um, and that one feels more like it's it's like five like almost films, like they're like somewhere in that like hour to hour fifteen range each of them. But I've heard some really good things, and I mean, Steve McQueen's awesome. So
3: yeah, that one seems like it's yep. more likely All right, to come Todd, out. What in else 2020? did you have
1: on your list? Yeah.
2: I didn't write any others down but I mean mank was obvious that was the obvious one that I should have put on there
1: probably see there's so much good stuff I mean it feels like so many things have tried to just kind of squeeze into these uh, into the end of the year if they can just because they're waiting to try and hopefully get a theatrical release and and then you have that on top of award season and so I mean it's kind of interesting that they have extended award season two more months to just kind of give some room so we're not like insanely saturated uh with content if it actually is able to come out Uh, so i don't know
2: well it's gonna be like sports are right now when they're like every major sport is playing
1: yeah i mean it it was it was last sunday it was it was nuts trying to figure out what to watch with US Open and you know NFL and NBA playoffs and today it was Stanley NFL Cup Sunday playoffs. and Stanley Cup playoffs this, today it was um, NFL Sunday and the last day of the regular season in baseball i didn't i didn't I, I didn't think like 60 games like oh yeah that'll that'll be fine that baseball season flew flew i mean when you're used to 162 60 is really short anyways okay all right let's move on that's our uh, so that's our most anticipated. I'll be watching for some of those movies as we go through the rest of this year. Power rankings time. You can't top that.
2: Yeah, that's the movie about the horse.
1: I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings, not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Uh, Zach won our game last time, and he got to pick the topic.
3: So Zach, tell us what we are counting down we're looking at the uh... top five most sympathetic villains in movies or TV, these are villains who, you know, maybe, um, they, maybe they were out for some bad, maybe they had some bad in them a little bit, and uh, you know, maybe they they were, maybe they were um, bred in the wrong way, maybe had a bad upbringing, but you know what? Fundamentally, there's still something likable or sympathetic about them um, that maybe makes their scheming somewhat redeemable in some aspect. So uh, I wanted to open this up to film and TV, um, you know, make no exclusions, and uh, let's see where this. This takes us because this could this could be fun because you have to you have to also kind of pitch why you think that they're sympathetic
2: and you can have one video game but it can't be number one.
3: Oh yeah that's true
1: oh right i forgot about that rule dang it okay ah oh, all right well uh zach you're gonna go first on this
3: okay my number five pick is uh i wanted to put this in my honorable mentions but then i just decided to put it in my actual list it's sort of a gimmick it is the demon in paranormal activity we never see the demon in the paranormal in paranormal activity but who we do see are uh, uh, Katie and Micah, who are the couple in in the, at the you know heart of the movie, and they are so annoying. I mean, so sh- um, you know, he is this day trader, you know, douche. I mean, he. We can we rename the douchebag award the Micah douchebag award from Paranormal Activity. I mean, this guy loves his camera and he wants to egg on the the demon right, who's possessed his girlfriend for all the, all these years, and the girlfriend's really annoying because you know she she keeps on claiming that the demon is seeing her but she doesn't really do anything about it she doesn't really make her case and she just kind of whines about it and complains about it i mean this demon is completely justified in haunting these people the only thing that is not redeeming about this demon is that he doesn't kill them sooner um but then again it wouldn't be a movie if he killed him right away i, I this demon is smart he's intelligent he, it is intelligent um I, I like how devious it is i like how uh the the uh the 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 Way that he frightens them and terrorizes them gets more and more chilling, uh, ups the stake. So a, a very likable villain who was never technically seen in the movie um, probably shouldn't have come back for the sequels.
1: I mean, if you don't have the vil- the demon in Paranormal Activity, what what do you have? Exactly,
3: activity. Th- <laughs> activity. I mean that. De- think of how much money that demon racked up for those people. You know, they they really owe it to him.
1: Uh... So, so I I, I, made, I made the change. It is now the Swan Michael o, Micah Oliphant Douchebag Award. There you go. Awesome. All right. That, that, that is, yeah, that's definitely a gimmick pick there, Zach.
3: Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> All right. Todd, you're next. Number five.
2: Uh, mine comes from the classic 1990s Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way, and it's Myron Larrabee brought to us by Simbad. Because all he wants to do is get the Turbo Man doll for his kid. I mean, he's painted as a a villain just because Schwarzenegger is the protagonist. But they're equally evil in what they do to get that doll. Like, he's beaten to hell in the movie, including by, like, a mob of kids just because he's dressed as Dementor. And he gets beaten at the parade. Um, I mean, yeah, sure, he has a bomb and holds up, like, a, a radio station. But he didn't know it was a bomb when it exploded. It's a sick world we live in. It's sick! Ah, yeah. He and Howard both destroyed the city, but Howard gets away with it, and uh, Myron gets arrested. I feel sorry for that guy every time
1: I watch that. Every time you watch it? How long has it been since you've watched it?
2: Uh, it's been a while.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow, I would have never even thought of that. However, now that you mention it, though, I mean, who is the villain in that? Is it Sinbad, or is it Phil Hartman?
2: Well, he's he's definitely a side villain, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's way mourning.
2: he's way more yeah he's way more evil. I feel
1: yeah, more like. mourning the death of his uh, of his wise man in his nativity scene. That's <laughs> that's one of the few things I remember about that that movie. Botha's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, number five on my list. So I one thing I wanted to make sure as I was going through first I thought this was going to be an easy list to do. I thought oh this is gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. This is a hard list to come up with. It was a hard list to do. And um, and so what I what I wanted to make sure is that all of mine are actual like characters. Like it's easy to have like a sympathetic like villain. It's like, well, the villain in this movie is greed. <laughs> I mean that that, that I mean, <laughs> you could easily say that on some things, but it's like that's and and everyone can sympathize with that, but that's not that's not a character. So it had to be a character. Um, and like Zach said, it's someone that you can understand the motives as they're going along. So my number five is, uh, my one animated pick and it is, uh, professor Callahan from, uh, voiced by James Cromwell in big hero six. Um, so you have, you're going along, uh, is the main character. He finds out that his, uh, that his, uh, brother has died in this horrible fire as well as his teacher, his mentor, and then he finds out that his mentor survived and is now this super evil villain, but he's doing it all to try and, um, and avenge his daughter and, uh, and going after a scientist who, has, uh, who played fast and loose with some of the rules and performing unsafe experiments, and his daughter was lost because of it and so i mean you you can understand why he's doing what he's doing he's just doing it the wrong way and so i think that's the the, the at the core the what we're looking for in a sympathetic villain so um, so my my number five is callahan from big hero six
2: that's a terry pick for sure
1: and 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 i could i could tell the 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 most like legitimate number five of all of our number five we have jingle all the way and the demon from paranormal activity okay i see what i see what's happening here okay all right zach number
3: four Alright, well I went a similar direction as Terry for my number four. I went the Disney route and I went with uh, what I believe is the greatest Disney villain of all time and maybe that's also why she's the most sympathetic and that is Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Now, let's think about Ursula for a second. Okay, she does some bad things in the movie. Absolutely. But would any of those bad things have happened if King Triton wasn't an asshole to his daughter and forced her to, you know, exclude um, and discriminate against those horrible humans? Like, Ariel is driven to see ursula and ursula actually helps ariel right actually ursula doesn't even really believe that that ariel will succeed with seducing prince eric uh, so that's why she has to do the the scheming at the end of the movie which of course i think at a fundamental r- level she realizes is, ro- is wrong too ursula has been cast aside by this stupid 1950s-esque uh you know picket white picket fences suburban mermaid society she is on the fringes she has been cast off from the society and she lives with those eels and those poor, unfortunate souls. She doesn't look like the typical mermaid, um, but she has a great singing voice, and uh, she's incredibly entertaining. I think the greatest Disney villain ever. A perfect mix of menace and total entertainment. And are her motives that bad, if you really think about it? She has been cast out of the kingdom by a king who is arguably um, emotionally and verbally abusive to his daughter. So I think Ursula has some good qualities to her.
1: Wow. That's that's quite the hot take there. And I, I can see it. I I am I'm, I'm good with that. I can, I can understand it. <laughs> All right. Todd number 4.
2: Okay, 180 from that. I went with <laughs> uh Tyler and Cameron Winkelvoss in the social network because oh. sure, Harvard connections a lame idea, but they if they hadn't given it to Mark he would have never gotten his idea sparked. And not only does he take their idea, he doesn't just like ghost them and let them go find another Diamond Dozen coder. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'm busy until like two weeks from next Friday or something like that. So their hopes are still alive and they don't move on at all while Mark is like running away with it. I don't think he deserved all the credit for the Facebook, but I mean, I think he had legal and emotional gripes and damages that need to be rewarded. Sure, they're gentlemen of Harvard, but man, they can sue whoever they want because they got screwed.
3: Hey, if they'd have been the inventors of Facebook, they'd have invented Facebook.
2: Exactly. But they got screwed. But they're gentlemen of Harvard, so they can't they can't sue anybody.
3: Well, I like it. That's think, a good call. I think they're going to be perfectly fine on on the row team. And and the Phoenix or whatever club they're a part of.
2: I don't think they were part of the Phoenix. <laughs>
3: Oh, okay. Well, that was in you know. Eduardo was part of. The that was Phoenix. yes. That's right. Eduardo got accepted to the Phoenix. Yes.
1: What's a higher war performance? Jesse Eisenberg in the Social Network or Army Hammer as the Winklevi? I don't know if there's another role that Army Hammer was more suited to play than the Winklevi.
2: I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, it was the first time we ever saw him. So,
1: true. But I mean, every other time after, it's like, oh, you're gonna try and do that? Really? Really, but I mean, it's a, maybe it's just because we have been conditioned to look at him and think douchebag, lovable douchebag. Apparently, from what you're saying. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's six five two forty,
2: and there's two of me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number four on my list. Okay. This is this is something that I think I think Zach is definitely going to relate relate to here. This is, this is a, a villain that um, I would say when I first watched this movie probably like 20 years ago, I never, ever would have said this was a sympathetic villain. But now, after the life experiences I've had, I kind of have to put him on my list. And that is... Uh, that is... Oh, where is it? I know it's here. You forgot no, it. That is No, I don't no, there he is. I he was It's
3: quite the build up. Uh, even I know, leaving us anyways,
1: okay. So it is it is Principal Vernon from The Breakfast Club. Oh <laughs> that nice. that is my that is my, my sympathetic villain, played by Paul Gleason. That's what I couldn't find. I couldn't find the name of the guy who played him. Um so I mean Yeah, he comes off as this as a super, just like, evil principal who's, you know, keeping these kids in school for detention on a Saturday. And, and when, you, when you are, you know, in the middle of being a student, yeah, he is not a sympathetic villain. However, once you're on the other side of it for a little while, and you think about this guy, this guy is sacrificing his Saturdays. A principal sacrificing, like, one of the only sacred times he has at being an educator... To sit at school and deal with these knuckleheads, I mean, you you got you, you wonder why he's he's so uptight. You wonder why he's so like off the hook, ridiculously mad at these people. I totally get it. I totally get it. And, and yeah, he's maybe a little too bitter to them, but man, you do that for as long as he's been doing it, you get that way. I mean, that's kind of the conversation he has with the janitor, right? So uh, I totally understand where he's at, and I totally understand what he's going through. And so, uh, yeah, Principal Vernon from The Breakfast Club, surprisingly sympathetic as a villain. So that's my number four.
3: Yeah, I could kind of see that. I mean, in a similar vein, I didn't put this person on the list, but, like, there are definitely some authoritarian figures um, who are the sort of de facto villains from movies that aren't really... I mean, when you're at, when you're asking them to contain these sort of rebellious characters, like I was thinking, like Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, yeah. it's sort of the same thing there. It's like it's it's basically um, a, an unflattering role, and she ha- she's put in this position that's you know how can how can you ever expect to like a person that has to do that? It's you know not their fault.
1: Yeah, I thought about making this a tie between Principal Vernon and the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but. He is a lot less sympathetic well, he, simply yeah. because he's, a little he's too... hunting down a single kid <laughs> going right. for a joyride around the city.
3: Right, he clearly has a vendetta that he takes to a completely <laughs> different level. That, I think that's a little different. An inexplicable vendetta.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never uh, felt sympathy for Edward Rooney. No, no. <laughs> now for his, his uh, secretary, Grace, maybe. I, I felt, But she's not really a villain. <laughs> one righteous dude. One righteous dude. Christ!
3: Uh Alright, Zach, number three. Okay, number three on my list is... Well, you know, um, I try to look at villains who I... It wasn't just that their cult of personality won me over, but they actually had log- logical reasons for why they enacted their revenge or whatever sort of uh, tumultuous trauma they were trying to enact. Um, but with my number three pick, it was pyramid, pre- pretty much cu- purely charisma. And that was, um, I guess, it really shouldn't come as any surprise. I went with Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne from Speed, maybe my favorite movie villain of all time. Again, the only reason he's not number one is that um, I just like his persona and his personality. I I think he has great one-liners, like um, when he says, it's the Boy Scouts marching song. Um, and when he, uh, you know, uh, laughs like, ha, 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 ha. Um, And, you know, he's a big football fan, watches a football game while the bus has a bomb in it. Um, that's that's pretty baller. Opens up a beer, too. Um, what we hear about him is that uh, he was in the Atlanta PD force and he lost a finger in in something. And apparently, the police force let him go. Um, and they didn't really give him a good severance package. All all he could afford was a cheap gold watch that he stra- strapped on to the C4, the, no, enough, the bomb that had enough C4 to put a hole in the world, according to uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, I think he's sympathetic. I don't know. He just wants to have... Fun. Um We'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, he still fits into his police uniform, which is pretty impressive after three years of retirement. And he spent $3.4 million on that elevator job. I don't know how he did. It didn't seem like it cost $3.4 million to rig an explosive on an elevator. Um, but you never know, you know, they, they, the costs get exorbitant. So, uh, you know, my best supporting actor in 1994, uh, Dennis Hopper in Speed, the, the most iconic role ever played by the man.
1: See, that rides that fine line between, like, coolest villain and sympathetic villain. Like, I, I thought about him, I'm like, no, he's, he's just a cool villain. I mean, being a dynamic character and, a, and just the pure charisma doesn't necessarily make you sympathetic. So that's why I stayed away from him.
3: That's fair, but if you and look at like it, him. If you look at his backstory, he is um he is more sympathetic probably than than what uh, would meet the eye. By the way, did you know that there is a college in Texas called uh Howard Payne College? Why didn't I go there? That's what I want to know. I ask myself that every day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like perfect. It's you a college have, totally.
3: that that still exists. I mean, that's, you know, that's saying a lot these days. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, shots fired. Go ahead, Todd.
1: Shots fired. <laughs> Alright, Todd, yeah, number three.
2: Okay, my number three comes from the 1990... From 1990, it's uh, Rokosaki, a.k.a. The Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because... <laughs> Okay, so, Splinter's master, Yoshi, killed Orokosaki's brother and then stole his girlfriend and moved out of the country and soon he was out for revenge and he had, like, every right to be. Sure, he went too far. He killed Yoshi and his girl, but that's, like, I don't know, that's besides the point. Once he gets there, he starts up this, like, like, group called the Foot Clan where he's, like, a father figure of wayward youths and teaches them ninjutsu. And then Like he gets, Sam like, Rockwell? Yes, exactly. He's in there, um... <laughs> and uh, he, he like in the news they paint him really badly and he just tries to change that. He's essentially a guy who gets screwed over by love and and death in his family, and he's lashing out and he gets lost in the power that he develops. And I mean I, I, I think I, I think yeah, most of his actions are justified. Sure, yeah, I mean, crime of passion, he killed he killed Yoshi and and his girlfriend, but everything else, I mean, he seems like a stand up dude. Rokosaki. That-
1: uh, definitely in the first one more than the the sequel because in the sequel he gets all roided up and to the point that you Super know his Shredder. outfit it, it it roids up his outfit even like how does he how did he get a new outfit in the rubble I mean apparently apparently steroids like mutates him to having more spikes on his shoulder blade shoulder pads I mean it looked cool <laughs> it looked cool it looked cool that is an interesting one I never would have thought of Shredder as a sympathetic villain but you know i stand i stand corrected
3: todd just so you know you have a pick from you know teenage mutant ninja turtles and jingle all the way and apparently a video game pick coming up just want to remind you. this is correct
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i gotta think of a video game pick to put on my honorable mention okay uh my number three uh i think i think you guys will will appreciate this one my number three is uh General Francis Hummel, uh, mm. US Marines. Yes. Played by That's Ed Harris one. in uh in The Rock. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he hijacks Alcatraz and, and holds you know the US government hostage for uh for millions and millions and millions of dollars, or he's gonna blow up San Francisco. But here's the thing. One, he was he was never going to blow up San Francisco and and you realize that you realize at his core he is an upstanding uh man of integrity and of calling to protect and serve two what is he fighting for he's fighting for like funds for for fallen veterans i mean it's not even like he's he's like going for world domination he just wants what's right like like he has he has a very righteous cause and this is the only way he's going to get people's attention and he had no intention on ever actually hurting anybody. In the process, the problem is he hired some bat-crazy mercenaries, and they're the ones that are going to that cause all the problems. But um, but yeah, General Hummel, you, 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 he is definitely a sympathetic character. And uh, honestly, it's sad to see him go down, because he he was just fighting for what was right and uh, and got caught up in it and carried away with it so he's my number three
2: it was always a bluff and he even gives up the last bomb lower lighthouse lower
1: lighthouse
3: yeah exactly it was always a bluff yeah and it also helps that there are some other pretty big douchebags in that movie when we when we did that movie i mean i don't think any of us had him as the biggest douchebag like no, he, no. I, I, even I, though he's the main villain. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. He gets uh, he, he gets sort of um, upended by other characters in the movie, like Womack. You bastard! You piece of shit!
1: <laughs> I know it was you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, absolutely. All right, Zach, number two. Alright, number two comes from another movie that I love, we all love, um, a movie with with many villains in it, but this is the one that, that stood out because he was probably the most immune from total responsibility over the tragedy of the Two Pines Wedding Chapel in El Paso, Texas, and that is Bud, played memorably by Michael Madsen. Now, again, is it, you know, the title of the movie is Kill Bill, so is it really fair to say that Bud is the villain of the movie? Um, I think he's associated with uh, the uh, Assassination Squad and Bill because he's Bill's younger brother, and, he, and Bill is the only man he would ever love. So, um, the truth is, though, let's be honest, I mean, Bud is the reason why Beatrix Kiddo is able to uh, defeat L Driver. Um, he's, he is probably the most humane in his treatment of, uh, Beatrix Kiddo, if you think about it, because, um, he at least gives her the opportunity to live and doesn't, um, you know, spray, uh, you know, spray paint in her, uh, in her eye. And he's friends with that guy who talks about, that's what, uh, the silent tr- treatment's what all the white women uh, want us to think uh, we don't like. Um, he's just awesome. He arguably wins Kill Bill Volume 2. Um, I, it's hard for me to think of him as a villain, because of the gargantuan bite that he receives from the Black Mamba. Um, he is maybe the MVP of that movie. In a movie, we've never deep-dived for some reason, but um, hes it's hard to think of him as a villain.
2: Yes. That's a great choice.
1: Uh, that is a good choice. Absolutely. All right, Todd, number two.
2: Uh, okay, so my number two is... the. So when I first heard the list, my immediate response was... Can we use a video game? And so this is where I have to put in number two, because my initial instinct was sympathetic villain, it's Gray Fox in Metal Gear Solid.
0: Because oh. <laughs> he
2: goes through hell throughout the saga. He, he initially was like comrades with Solid Snake in Outer Heaven, but then he, like, in Zanzibar, he sides with Big Boss and gets mortally wounded by Snake, and he's, like, recreated with an exoskeleton and forced to be, like, a henchman warrior of sorts. So during Shadow Moses, he comes back and he's fighting Snake a couple of times while he's also giving him clues through Kodak as Deep Throat, which I always thought was interesting. Uh, but he's like a vicious ninja, but he saves Snake from Liquid and Metal Gear Rex, and, he can't, and Snake can't even bring himself to shoot him, or, or to shoot and kill Liquid because the blast might kill Gray Fox. I mean, he's basically dead no, anyway. He almost died. I can't in- do it! Yeah, it's no good. Can't do it. Like he almost he almost dies from fox die anyway, and he's like at the at that time getting crushed by Metal Gear Rex, and yet Snake still has he even has sympathy for him because I was born on the battlefield, I'll die on the battlefield, all I can do is fight. Grey Fox is one of my favorite characters in all Metal Gear, and yeah, he is absolutely a sympathetic villain.
1: That's that's amazing, Todd. That is amazing. Wow. After Zanzibar, I can finally die. <laughs> oh man, I knew when when I knew you were gonna go video game. I knew it was gonna be Metal Gear, but I couldn't figure out which one. And yeah, Gray Fox, that that's that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I have another one here that I think you're really gonna like. Um, so my number two. I think this is like the, the character arc on this one is it's undeniable that he's a sympathetic villain to the point that it's kind of borderline if he actually is a villain by the end of the movie. And um, and that is Lefty played by Al Pacino in Donnie Brasco. Oh, um, so uh, Donnie Brasco, Johnny Depp is a undercover cop who infiltrates the mob and his way in is through Lefty. And his, you know, his job is to take all these guys down. And Lefty's the guy who kind of brings him in, and he ends up being really good friends with him. He ends up really loving this man, and, um, and to the point that when you get to the end, it uh, he Lefty has to go down with everybody else, and and um, and Donnie Brasco is just torn up with the fact that this man who has such integrity, even though he's a part of this crime crime family and crime organization, he has to go down with it. And uh, just the the arc that, that that character goes on of being this, you know, deplorable human being that's just a way in to being someone that he actually cares for but is still the enemy um, when you get to the end of it because when at the end of it, he's not Donnie Brasco, he's Joe Pistone. And he's got to... He's got to do his job, and uh, I think it, it is it's such a perfect um, example of what a sympathetic villain is, and and it's built to make you be sympathetic of him. So, number two, Lefty from Donnie Brasco.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of him as the villain. I if there was any villain in that movie, I would have thought that'd be more like Sonny Black and those guys. But because Lefty is a, a, he becomes his friend almost immediately. So true.
1: But he but he still he still is. The enemy because he has to go he is a part of what he's ta- taking down yeah and even in the end he's not able to save him he has to go down with him
2: so he's a villain but he's not really the antagonist i don't know
1: yes there's, yes there's a line i would that there is there is but yeah uh, that's what i would go with
3: it sounds like you've you've uncovered the loophole of villains who gradually become redeemed as the movie goes along which i tried to avoid on my list
1: yeah and and he and the one reason why I still put him on is because he still has to go down for it, right he's he's still the, the 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 villains you know get 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 what's coming to him and he still ends up getting that he He's not able to be fully redeemed and you know get immunity or something because he was buddy buddy with Donny brasco. He, he still goes down for it all
3: all right. Zach, number one. All right, well, again, uh, Terry, Terry, see, uh, originally, my, well, I'll hold off on this. I had a few villains that I excluded from my list because they became more sympathetic as the movie went along, and you sort of uncovered more of their backstory, which made them, again, more likable. And again, I tried to avoid that. But um, my number one villain is, um, I think, a villain that uh, a lot of people fairly, uh, justifiably recognize as a pretty sympathetic villain. Um, if it weren't really for him, the, uh, the real villain of this movie would not have gotten captured and people's lives would not have gotten spared in the way they were and that is Anthony Hopkins in uh, The Silence of the Lambs as Dr. Hannibal Lecter. I guess that's a little bit of the low hanging fruit but the thing that I like most about Hannibal Lecter is he's the smartest person in the movie and I think he makes other people look a lot less uh, a lot less sympathetic And, you know, um, he spares the life of Clarice because uh, the world is much more interesting with her in it. Um, he has to put up with multiple Migs, who is one of my favorite, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what did we say? The, uh, you know, um, what, what's the name of the award? Big Tim Award uh, minor characters. I mean, oh, that, yeah, yeah. that alone, having to live with multiple Migs next door for 10 years, I think would drive anyone insane. He has, um, you know, superior taste in food and wine and chianti, and uh, he has impeccable uh, sense of smell and um, you know just all around the movie is much more interesting with him in it and uh, I'm not talking about the sequels necessarily because I do feel like in Hannibal he certainly gets uh, a much more sort of macabre demeanor about him but um, I think he's sort of delightful and, and, and erudite and would be fun to converse with and spend some time with. So I, and again, he's not really the villain of the story at all. It's Buffalo Bill. So maybe you could sort of exclude him from the list. But uh, for me, he's one of the most um, endearing and memorable characters in movie history. And uh, it's hard to imagine a list like this not including him on it. He and is at the an same time cannibal
1: who eats someone's food. Yes. Oh, that, that's what I was going to say. At the same time, he is never redeemed. You, you know he like, like you're saying he, he's endearing he's likable he's lovable but yeah he still brutally murders those two guards when he, he ma- is given the chance and his last line of the movie is i'm going to have an old friend for dinner well uh, i mean
3: yeah he makes dr chilton look much more villainous and i think that that's that is an impressive feat because Dr. Chilton is the exact antithesis to everything Hannibal Lecter stands for in terms of pri- uh, privileging, um, you know, being uh, sophisticated and uh, intellectually curious and um, even compassionate. I think he has a lot of compassion for Clarice over the course of the movie. He listens to her. He compliments her. Um, he is able to identify what kind of hair, bra- hair product she uses. Um, you know, he's, he's a gentleman.
1: And see, he makes, like you said, Dr. Chilton. I would put him on, like, the biggest douchebags in film history list. Yes. Uh, and it, and because, because of how much you root for Hannibal. Um, yeah. No, that's a great call. I really should have put him on my list, but I didn't. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, yeah. I would say... Um, I still say, though, that Red Dragon is a better story than Silence of the Lambs.
3: Well, that's the thing, is that if you put in... Red Dragon is a good movie, I agree. But if you put in Red Dragon and Manhunter, and particularly Hannibal, um, then the Hannibal character becomes, like I said, quite a bit uh, less redeeming in a lot of ways, particularly in Hannibal. But I'm just talking about Silence of the Lambs as just a standalone movie.
1: I would agree. Hannibal, yes, but I think think Red Dragon is very complementary to him in Silence of the Lambs.
3: That's true, yeah.
1: Um... I, I love the beginning where he also well, is manly too. You know, the, you, well, true. Well, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. But I, I love the beginning of Red Dragon where when he's loose and he ends up uh, he ends up killing someone and feeding him at a dinner party because he was a horrible clarinetist and he ruined the orchestra. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's just that, that that talk. That's that's what you want out of a lovable cannibal. So
2: he left his cookbook <laughs> open though. Got him
1: caught he left his cookbook open sloppy yeah yep all right todd number
2: one okay my number one the movie's already been mentioned but not the villain it's bill from kill bill volume two because okay the love of his life gets pregnant and instead of having the kid with him she runs off and never says anything he and he didn't intend to actually go massacre everybody he actually sent someone after her to uh to track her down and uh, see whoever might have actually killed her or whatever. And so when he actually finds her, she's pregnant and she's marrying Tommy's dumbass. And so he loses it and he kills everyone in the, in the chapel. Did he overreact? Of course. But he, do, he even admits that. But he, he doesn't have to explain himself. You know, um, the, the scenario speaks for itself. He's a killer, a murdering bastard, and we know that. But he's a killer by nature and by occupation. So none of this is really all that shocking. Uh, it's gruesome and horrible what he does, but I mean, if you put what, think about what he goes through and extrapolate that, then it, I think it makes him pretty damn sympathetic. Uh, he also cares and still has affection for Beatrix and his daughter. I mean, cause he could have offed her whenever he figured out that she was coming or while she was sleeping, but, uh, he calls her off. He, but he has to, he ends up going out like a samurai. I love Bill. He's sympathetic and yeah, uh, that was my, that was my number one when I couldn't use Gray Fox. It was Bill where's
1: bill <laughs> how'd you find me i'm the man, I'm the
2: man. well exactly- bill's
3: backstory is somewhat uh established about his compulsive thumb sucking at the sight of lana turner i think that probably explains a lot but i mean really todd i think the most unredeemable thing about bill and you make a lot of good points is who would let their four-year-old watch shogun assassin on repeat that's just bad parenting right there
1: Not on repeat, because it's It's too too, long. long. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reason. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Uh, that's a great pick. Uh, My number one... Okay, this is the first thing I thought of. The first character I thought of. And the whole time I'm like, okay, but I can't... I don't want to actually pick that person. And then as I kept on going like no no like there's nobody else that's better. I can't think of anybody else that better fits this category than this character. Um, and I'm, I and I got to go to the MCU to do it. My number one most sympathetic villain is Eric Killmonger played by Michael B Jordan in Black Panther. Um, it gets to a point by the end of the movie that you almost feel bad that you're rooting for Killmonger. Just because of, of his entire backstory, how he's a part of this royal family and has kind of been disowned and doesn't even know what's going on. And and, and his his death scene is one of, it, like, even at that moment, Black Panther is like, you deserve respect in this moment because, you, yeah, we kind of screwed you, but, I mean, you can't just come fighting for the throne. I mean... You you could almost say that Michael B. Jordan it, that character is is the 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 good guy in it and Black Panther kind of comes across as the bad guy at some t- at some moments until you know Killmonger kind of goes off the off the rails a little bit at at one point but um yeah it was the first it was the first character I thought of and as I kept on going through stuff I couldn't shake it and uh, the I just thought this this kind of has to be number one so my number one is Killmonger.
2: I knew that was going to come up somewhere.
1: I, yeah, it had to. It's a good choice.
0: Right?
1: Yeah, and like I said, I didn't want to pick it, but I, I there was no one else I could. <laughs>
3: okay, uh, Zach, honorable mentions. Okay, uh, well, so the one that I, I thought about putting on my list, but there was too much of a redeeming art, was Robert's Blossom as Old Man Marley in Home Alone. Like... I mean, he's ultimately a good person, so it's just the sort of the perception of him, so he couldn't really be considered the villain, I guess. Um, I had a few more animated ones. I thought of Angelica, Pickles, in Rugrats, uh, Mr. Burns, and Petty, and Selma from The Simpsons, and The Devil and Saddam Hussein in South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Mm. I also had... Joan Cusack as Debbie Jelinski in Adam's Family Values, which if you want to listen to more of my take on that, listen to uh, Daily Notes. Um, I had uh, Philadelphia Phil in Big Fan. Not that Terry knows who that character is, but he should. Um, Danny DeVito as Mr. Wormwood, Matilda's father in Matilda, Ordell Roby in Jackie Brown, the Pizza Delivery Guy in She Dies Tomorrow, and Michael Cimino's Ego in The Deer Hunter.
1: Nice oh uh, all right i just um, watched big got?
2: fan the other day again actually that i philadelphia <laughs> phil is a great character uh so i have a couple from uh deep does that we've done terry mentioned general humble from the rock also we talked a lot about arno from uh from uncut gems because mm, mm-hmm. he's just stuck in a situation and in gone baby gone spoiler alert jack doyle which is morgan freeman's character uh you could have a philosophical debate about why he is definitely sympathetic and probably right. Uh, Senator Kelly in X2, X-Men United. Because, I mean, he kind of has to do what he's doing. I also have the abolitionists in Santa Fe Trail. Uh, Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi because of his backstory. And also Fat Bastard in Spy Shag Me because, of course, I mean, he he's not doing what he wants to do. But, you know... He's just too fat. You really are a fat, bastard.
1: Okay, wait a second. You said Senator Kelly from X two. Yeah. He, Senator Kelly dies in in the first one.
2: Am I thinking of the wrong Mystique.
1: person? It's Mystique. It's Mystique. Are you thinking of Stryker?
2: Maybe. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. The uh, Bruce Davison.
1: No, no, Bruce Davison is Senator Kelly. Oh, so maybe it was the
2: first one, then. Maybe I just said the wrong oh, thing.
1: you're thinking of the, the, the first one.
2: Okay, they blend together in my mind.
1: He's not sympathetic at all, by the way. <laughs> That's a horrible pick.
2: <laughs> hey, the, the, okay. the, he's got, like, these, like, these, like uh, terrorist aliens that, I mean, he's got he's to gotta try to crack down on it.
1: Yeah. Alright, uh, right, here's my honorable mentions. I have uh, Senator Payne from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, he's one that actually has his like redemption moment at the end of the at the end of the movie, but he's just kind of kind of stuck in in you know the system and and playing the game and and forgets to do the right thing until he does. Uh, then I have uh, Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. I mean, he's really painted as the villain in that because he's the one after him, but really he's just doing his job. I mean, that he's he's hunting down the fugitive of the law and. He's not really a, a villain in that sense. Uh, I have Kristoff from the Truman Show, um, who I, I mean, he's he's the villain, but at the same time, if you think of it in hit from his point of view, I mean, he's doing exactly what he needs to do, and this is kind of his his you know his child, his baby, his offspring. Uh, I've got Bill from Kill Bill, and finally, my last one, the one uh, submission I have from TV, is uh, Newman from Seinfeld.
0: Mm.
1: Nice. Nice. All right, it is now time to try and figure out where the hell Adam Daly went on this list. <laughs> it could have gone a million different directions. Let's try and figure it out. Zach, what is your, uh, what is your top five predictions for Adam?
3: I went uh, number five, Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. Number four, Riddler and Harvey Two-Face in Batman Forever. Number three, Dr. Evil. Number two, Jack Torrance. And number one, Anakin Skywalker. Slash hey. Darth, Darth Vader.
2: And what's Todd, your, what you
1: your breadwinner? Oh, I forgot to do one of those.
3: Oh, um, I, I, I did not. I think he's been too busy recording podcasts to put time <laughs> and effort into the, this this particular list. Okay. So, <laughs> nice, <yeah>. nice save.
2: <laughs> Uh, well played my number five i have is uh thanos number four i have Koba from rise of the planet of the apes number three i have Gollum from the two towers number two i have colin sullivan from the departed and number one i have killmonger with my breadwinner i'm gonna say he probably watched like a couple episodes of the sopranos and has tony soprano on there
1: that's a good call um oh, what was the one you said the um the Departed one. It was a great, was a great call. What was the one you said right before Departed? Uh, Gollum. Gollum. That's another one that. Yeah, that one definitely needed to be mentioned. Uh, okay. I have. Here's mine. I have uh Javier Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall. Um, as number five. Uh, number four, Apollo Creed in Rocky. Uh, number three, Darth Vader. Uh, number two, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. And number one, Killmonger. Okay. Okay, here we go. Honorable mentions: uh, General Hummel in The Rock, uh, Simon Gruber in Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, Debbie Jelinski in Adam's Family Values. She just wanted a ballerina Barbie. Uh, the Bear in The Revenant, and uh, <laughs>
3: that's wow, <a, laughs> that's a good pick.
1: And, Z- and Zemo in Captain America: Civil War. Okay, I can see that. Number five, you're never going to believe it. Number five is Ed Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Really? He just wanted his students to be in class. Is that too much to ask for? You don't hunt them down across (laughs) the entire city of Chicago. And I'm sorry, you lose all sympathy if you don't care about the Chicago Cubs and you live in Chicago. What's the score? Zero zero. Who's winning? The, the bears. bears. Okay, uh, number four is Sid from Toy Story. Nice. I
2: was uh, thinking being, about
1: that one. How is being Sid kids is once ourselves? We have all. all right. Let, let's let's listen. Being kids once ourselves, we have to be honest. We were tough on our toys. However, in the world of Toy Story, the toys pretend not to be alive. So, Sid was just being a kid himself until these toys totally destroy his mental well-being.
3: That's a terrible pick. Sid is demonic.
2: I, I, I There's nothing redeeming. I yeah, was I'm more God. of a he Sid is. than
3: I was an Andy. <laughs> yes, well, that may were. be true. <laughs>
1: uh, number three is Koba from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Nice. Going with not the most surprising performance here, but going with the villain. Humans tortured him for science. Now he wants to get even. I understand his motivation. Number two, Batty from Blade Runner. He's born into servitude. He's well-trained and strong by design, but with the mental capacity of a three-year-old. So it makes sense. He only wants to extend his life even more. His logic is sound. And number one, Todd and I got it right. Killmonger from Black Panther. One of the best MCU villains. Everything this character said was totally true. I do wish they didn't kill him off like Marvel always tends to do. Except for Loki, like that's the only villain they don't kill, and yeah.
2: All right, I win. so
1: Todd wins. I mean, that's pretty. odd. I think you even said Koba number three, didn't you?
2: I, have it, I had it four.
1: Oh, okay. I have. I, I think you would even say, "Dude, I should have had Gollum on the list, though."
2: <laughs> <laughs> he said that.
1: No, I'm. No, I'm no, saying no, he, he, probably he probably would. He will as soon as he listens to this. Yeah,
2: I am now 23 points. Zach has. Uh, 14 and a half, and Terry has 14.
1: I'm in last. Yeah.
3: Gosh dang it. Okay. the rockets. It's an empty place.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, alright. Time to move on. It is trivia time. Are you ready?
3: Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap
2: in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia.
1: Zach won trivia last time, which means he's hosting trivia. Hey, Zach, you're hosting trivia. Just oh, okay. Th- thanks for reminding trivia. me. Yeah. You should probably figure that out. Yeah. yeah okay. Um. So Todd and I had movies we had to watch. Uh, I'm going to go first. So uh, this was kind of fun. So uh, before, like three weeks ago, Zach texts me and says, next time... Next time I am uh, I win trivia. I am assigning you Sunrise, and uh, and I was like, okay, fine, I can I can watch Sunrise. One of the first Best Picture winners because there were two that year, so I I can watch that one. I haven't seen it yet. So then we go through our episode two weeks ago. He wins trivia, and immediately after that is you're watching The Red Turtle uh, for for uh, for trivia, and I'm like, okay, I thought you said Sunrise, but whatever, I'll watch The Red Turtle. And then halfway through this week, he texts me again and says, next time you, I win trivia, I'm assigning you Big Sonya. And I was like, uh, "And I said, okay, it's just like you did with Sunrise. And he goes, oh, crap. I, uh, watch one of the three. I don't really care which one. And so uh, I ended up watching The Red Turtle because I was kind of sold on, on the idea of watching that one. And it kind of fit with what we talked about last time. And I wanted to see if it truly was what you said, like the greatest animated film of all time um i won't go that far but it's pretty damn good um it's it's this amazing movie and it's it's like 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 it's i heard at one point i i'm i'm sitting here at my desk and i'm staring at the movie poster for once and i remember hearing one at one point the director of once saying the best stories can be uh, can be described on like the back of an envelope like you only need like one or two sentences to describe the best stories and that's the red turtle a man is stranded on an island and a red turtle is keeping him there like that that is that's all you need to know about the red turtle that is the story um, but the something with the animation and and the fact that there's no dialogue and and the just the how the story moves along it is it is hypnotic and it just draws you in and it it is it's incredible to watch i really still am not entirely sure what it all means uh because you know it means something um and i'm i'm still trying to process it i want to watch it again because i i want to try and figure out a little bit more about what it all means and that's a great quality to have in a movie but yeah, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant film. The animation is insane. And yeah, I, I think my, my best my best description is it's hypnotic in, in just how it goes along. So I love it.
3: Yeah, and you know, maybe it was a little uh, hyperbolic to say it was the best animated movie ever made, but it is an extraordinary animated film. I still stand by it as the best animated film of the decade and um the fact that it has no dialogue i think makes the story all the more amazing how powerful emo- and emotionally gripping um it really is and i think the music is also haunting as as well it's it's just a, an amazing experience watching it yeah absolutely
1: all right todd what did you have to watch i had to watch
2: the 1984 eagle panel movie last night at the alamo that zach reviewed i think it was in our under a thousand votes power rankings Uh, It is the story uh, of these characters who frequent a bar in Austin, Texas on the last night before it closes, and the most popular guy in town is this guy named Cowboy Regan, and he tries to keep it open with his connections, and I would say, if it didn't have like 240 votes on IMDb, that it would have had a huge influence on like film and TV, because it's a lot like Trailer Park Boys, and it's a lot like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia but it's somewhat patronizing but almost like a judgmental documentary like Vernon Florida or something like that but it does have affection for the characters Cowboy is basically Wooderson and Rick Linklater clearly had uh, seen this movie and based a lot of his career on on stuff like this it's funny and it's a little sad and it's like such a niche community of like day drinkers in a town like that it's really entertaining and it's a three star movie Zach said the only stipulation was I had to watch it drunk so there was some bourbon
3: there was a tasting, and uh, it worked. Well, it helped, it helped the movie too, didn't it? I mean, well, it's yeah. like it's like it's like a, a great uh, steak. You can't enjoy a great steak without a, a bottle of wine, right? So you know, it it complemented it. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I, I never would have connected it to the Trailer Park Boys. But yes, Rick Licklater for sure. I, thought, I think it has some resonance in like Jim Jarmusch's movies and maybe even a little bit Vim Vender's movies of the 80s. Um, it's a movie that has always really stuck with me. And I think Cowboy is actually Loki a really complex character. I think he hides his insecurities with his cowboy hat. And namely the fact that he's bald but also just a lot of other shit in his life and you know what he's just he begins the movie as this awesome guy who everyone loves and he's not even in the movie for the first 20 minutes it's just characters building up his persona and his reputation and then as you, as you get longer in the movie you kind of see how full of shit he is and I think it's just sort of a, a brilliant performance by that actor and Eagle Pinnell was a really interesting filmmaker who, who was also an alcoholic apparently drank on a lot of his film sets. Um, it, but it's a really strong movie, I think one of the best movies of the 80s, and let, let's get it over a thousand votes, okay? I mean, clearly people have seen it, and it's been influential. Alright, so you mentioned
1: Wooderson, which, uh, which made me think of uh, a random side note I wanted to make. So this week on Twitter, there was a video that surfaced of Matthew McConaughey watching his, uh, his Wooderson audition tape for the first time. Um, and it, like like he just recently watched it for the first time, and if you haven't seen it, I, I think it's on Matthew McConaughey's Twitter account. So go find it and watch it. It's it's pretty great. It's pretty great. I didn't watch it. You should you should watch it. It's pretty it, it's good. It's good. He finishes it by saying, "You know, when I did that, I thought it was going to be just a great summer job, and here I am." 28 years later, still working that summer job. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, Zach, it's Twitter time. Twitter time. Tw- trivia time. What am I talking about? I got myself confused. <laughs> it might be trivia about Twitter. Who knows? Tell us what we're doing, Zach. Zach.
3: All right, well, we are looking at, uh, we just, we have two categories today, and um, I spent a lot of time planning these, so just, you know, be ready. Um, We just had the Emmys this year, so in honor of the Emmys, that just happened a week ago, um, I have a list of the 25 TV shows that have won the most primetime Emmy Awards. And so it spans, you know, a long, long history and different genres, too. But uh, I think we're going to go back and forth and see who can identify the TV shows that have won the most Emmy Awards. And um, I think we're going to go ahead and start uh, with Terry. Good grief. 25, you said? There are 25 series that have won many, many Emmys, and um, yes, number 25 has 16 Emmys, and the number one has 100, no, excuse me, 70, so anywhere from 25 to 70 Emmys.
2: These are comedies and dramas?
3: Correct, Yes
1: and and primetime emmys right
3: primetime emmys correct yeah
1: so i can't pick like one life to live which no has been on no, the air for
3: 40 years it is not the <laughs> it is not the daytime emmy awards sadly that would be a fun okay. uh, trivia too though and i promise that's not my second category although that Good. would have, that would have been really fun too all right i'm going to start off with the sopranos the sopranos is i believe on the list it is number 14
2: uh do they? I mean, do they have to be major categories?
3: Um, I, it just says any wins, so I would assume. I'm guessing not. So yeah.
2: I mean, Game of Thrones. Game I'm of pretty Thrones sure they has won like 18 Emmys in one year.
3: <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones has won 59, and it is number two on the list. I
1: was gonna say yeah. It, there, there's no way a film won, or a TV show won 70 major emmy awards <laughs> well one the, the that, number one that show would has would be yeah. well no no but the like like the the main categories there's no oh, way right, right, right. i mean the, the, it's got to be some below the line stuff um uh, okay i'm gonna go with
3: uh mash mash is not on the list harry i'm Damn sorry it's... to say it was on for a long time, but not. I don't think it was a very critically acclaimed show. It was kind of like that '70s show. It was just kind of on. I think. I don't know. I wasn't alive.
1: That 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 is like the worst take you've ever had. <laughs> Mash is like the
3: that '70s show. Well, yeah, it was like just it's cin- on. It's in syndication Dude. all the time. I don't Fact, know. That, to- that, Todd, do you have any more?
1: That hurts my heart.
2: <laughs> um, I was thinking, ER. E-
3: Er is number ten.
1: Oh, good call. That's a good one.
3: Er Saturday had tw- Night Live. Tw- twenty-three wins. Saturday Night Live is number one with seventy wins.
1: That oh gosh,
2: uh,
3: Fraser. Fraser is number three, with uh, uh, thirty-seven wins. Will and Grace. Will and Grace, I believe, is on the list. Number nineteen and that had uh, 18 wins
2: um uh, i'm going to say uh the practice that's probably right. uh, the pr-
3: the practice is not on not on the list um you definitely I was mi-
1: debating between mash and friends was friends on the list
3: friends was not on the list terry yeah well S- then, then i screwed either way well here i'm, <laughs> I'm just going to read some of the big ones number four was the simpsons number five is the mary tyler right. moore show number six is cheers number seven is hill street blues number eight is the west wing number nine is the carol burnett show and then i'll just read a couple more that are on here that are, are notable ones nypd blue modern family boardwalk empire murphy brown uh mad men veep and somehow at number 22 dancing with the stars don't ask me how that made the list but it did
1: i mad men we should have gotten and i am i am surprised that todd got fraser and not cheers that that is interesting
3: yeah no one got I, cheers that's kind of amazing
2: i wasn't gonna say mad men because i know in ne- it didn't win an acting award until the last year, so I, I didn't know how much below the line categories it would have won.
3: Yeah, Mad Men was number twenty five on the list, and it only won sixteen. And I'm glad that neither of you said um, uh, the greatest show of all time, uh, Breaking Bad, because that was not somehow on this list, which you know invalidates any sort of credibility that the Emmys have.
1: Was Seinfeld on the list?
3: Seinfeld was not on the say... list.
1: Crazy. Okay. Okay. Let, I I just want to say you you having trivia themed around the Emmys just guarantees I lose. I'm just letting you know that.
3: <laughs> well, this is what happens when I, I mean, get a lot of prep time to spend on these lists.
2: Mash had fourteen. You had two and the, weeks. The practice had eleven.
1: <laughs> what had fourteen?
2: Mash had fourteen. The practice had eleven. So
1: we weren't terrible. So so Mash tri- had to terrible terrible be like judges. yeah. Mash had to be like twenty six or twenty
3: seven. Did That 70s Show ever win? I'm, I'm guessing not. Okay, so um, we have one, one other category for Terry to make his, his uh, stunning comeback. Todd has uh, five, five points, Terry has one point. So um, there was a list published earlier this month for Men's Health Magazine, very astute source of movie and TV knowledge, that they ranked the top 27 best action movies ever made. Now, the reason I wanted to include this list is because it's a very curious list. I'm just going to throw that out there. It, it, it has some picks that are interesting, that um, do show a surprising amount of cinematic knowledge and awareness and um, in a cosmopolitan way, um, some non-American movies. And then there's just some head scratchers. So take that for what it's worth. Um, it is a list of the best action movies. Um, I will say most of them are fairly recent. I'll kind of give you that. Um, I don't think any of them go too far uh, before like 1970. So um, yeah, good luck with this one.
1: Fairly recent, <laughs> nothing before 1970. Okay, so just <laughs> I don't to think there's anything. the last 50 years of film.
2: Got how, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, how much action is it? Do, like, do sci-fi action movies count?
3: Um, I'll just, there's, I don't, there's maybe a couple on the list, but not, not a significant amount of of sci-fi action movies. I do see at least one film on here that is pre-1970, but most of them are more recent. I will say, okay, how about this? I'll, I'll drop a big hint here. A lot of Kung Fu, a lot of stuff from Eastern Asia, good amount of stuff. And, and with that, and with that giant hint, um, I think, uh, we'll go to you, Todd.
2: Uh, hard-boiled
3: hard-boiled um if you're talking
2: kung fu and greatest action movies that's like the number one uh
3: i don't think it's on the list sadly no that was that's the one kung fu movie that didn't make the list sorry
2: i wouldn't have said that if you wouldn't have given the hand to the dumbass
3: all right <laughs> <laughs> Well, then I shouldn't have, I, this is what happens when okay, I, I shouldn't to give any hints. <laughs> Terry, you have, you've you got to get five, got to get six, five on this list to tie and six to win.
1: <clears throat> okay, I'm going to start with Die Hard.
3: Uh, Die Hard is on the list. Somehow Die Hard is only number 22, which maybe tells you something about the list.
1: What? Yes, yeah, so okay, apparently there are I'm 21 go movies better
3: than Die Hard, better action movies.
1: I'm going to go the direction that I think you were trying to steer us and say Seven Samurai
3: seven samurai is also correct that is number 19
1: um and now i gotta remember all the other kurosawa films That yeah well that wasn't
3: that that wasn't one that i was thinking of when i said when i dropped that hint but okay
1: okay oh okay um let's go with the rock
3: the rock uh did not make the cut sadly um, yeah, okay, I was
1: getting, my
2: my number one. I was gonna say was First Blood.
3: First Blood is number one on the list. And I was list. gonna say, uh, speed. Speed did not make the cut. Okay. See, I I'm I did want to give you. I almost gave you a half point, Todd, because uh, John Woo's The Killer is on the list at number eleven. You got the wrong John Woo movie. That wow. that's that's what sort of did you in, which is sort of unusual because I do feel like Hard Boiled is probably a more widely seen movie than The Killer but uh yeah first blood number one number two the raid 2 redemption interesting choice, <laughs> choice. N- number three Ongbach, number four volume. kill bill volume one and number five the born ultimatum we also have Ip man house of flying daggers mad max fury road crouching tiger hidden dragon terminator 2 heat the matrix the dark knight and at number 27 all the way at the end of the list raiders of the lost Ark interesting well, list since wow. we
2: don't read men's health apparently
1: <laughs> that, was, that was a horrible list let's, let's just pull out some subjective poll on the greatest action movies of all time hey
3: men's health is a quality publication okay exquisite at s- least when I pulled test. out
1: some random list it was like actual like calculated statistics that, you, that were objective that you guys could potentially figure out even though Zach never actually listened to the directions and never understood the list and, and, and he still won, won. <laughs> and he still won. <laughs> All so, right,
3: with a final score of five to three, Todd is the winner. You got more than I thought you would. On that one, <laughs> I got—I didn't even get one. <laughs> oh, I think on uh, both lists, I guess is what <laughs> I mean.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for quote of the day.
3: Strawberries.
1: Not the cheese. Womack! With a little sex in it. Quote of the day! Uh, Todd, you gotta go first.
2: My quote comes from last night at the Alamo from Claude because I'm drinking beer. He said, If they invent a six pack and get me drunk, I'll bend over and kiss your mother's ass! And I hear you. <laughs>
1: Uh all right. Uh I'm going to go next. Um so my quote is from The Breakfast Club. Uh so I I one of the things that that gives me great joy is when I'm able to uh to sit in my classroom with my students and throw out a movie quote that they have no idea what I'm talking about and just think that I'm talking randomly. So like one of my favorites it's not this, but one of my favorites is is uh If there are kids kind of loitering when it's time to go to lunch, I just tell them to go to lunch three times. Um, Go to lunch. Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Like, I've said that multiple times to kids before, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. They just think they need to go to lunch. Um, But uh, the the quote from Breakfast Club that I think it would be so much fun to say at some point, but I don't know if I ever could actually say it, is, uh, Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns.
2: Got you for two months. (laughs)
1: it'd be yeah oh man that's uh principal vernon sympathetic villain sympathetic villain all right zach what do you got
3: so my line comes from a movie we didn't mention, but Terry did mention Matthew McConaughey. And I did rewatch Magic Mike last night because it's on Netflix. And my favorite line for Magic Mike is when he's um, trying to woo uh, the uh, Cody Horn character, I believe is her name. And he's like, I have like $13,000 saved. And she's like, wow, that's a lot of ones. And he's like, eh, no, there's some fives in there. And she's like, oh, okay, no 20s. And then he says, oh, you don't want to know what I have to do for 20s.
1: all right all right all right just keep living all right right. yep okay well with that we're gonna bring this podcast to a close thank you guys so much for listening uh make sure again that you uh, subscribe rate review let us know what you think tell all your friends we'll be back at you next week with a deep dive until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side